And they were all scattered throughout the region of Judea and Samaria except the apostles. And devout men carried Stephen to his burial and made great lamentation over him. As for Saul, he made havoc of the church entering every house and dragging off men and women committing them to prison. So as we see here, we see here the introduction of Saul. We see here, you know, what's just these verses that are dedicated to give us insight on Saul. And this is Saul as a young man. And as we look at Saul, you know, we look at, uh, look at the previous chapter in verse 57, Acts 7.57. It says there, or we're introduced there to, to, uh, to Saul for the very first time. And Dr. Luke, what he tells us in verse 57 is that basically we have here, or I should say verse 58, that, the, that Saul was caring for the clothes of the people. In other words, what he was doing is that he was there taking care of the clothes. And why would he take care of the clothes? Because he wanted to make sure that the people had the ability, right? As, as he wanted to make sure that Stephen was stoned. And so he wanted to make sure that their clothes was taken care of while they took it off so that they can have what? The agility to throw stones at Stephen. Think about that. We look at here, just, you know, Saul, as we look at him, right, as we see him here, he's, he's making sure that Saul would be stoned and he would be stoned to death. And so he's taking care of the clothes so that everything would be well. And we know that many couldn't keep their eyes off of, Steve, uh, off of Stephen, I should say. As we look at what's going on here, we're talking about here the, the death of Stephen. And as we're looking at the death of Stephen... One thing that we know is that we were told that when they looked at the face of Stephen, he had the face of an angel. Think about that. That when Stephen was speaking and when Stephen was there before the council, before the Sanhedrin, that people would look at the face of Stephen and he had the face of an angel. And we know that many eyes were fixed at Stephen while he was being stoned to death as they also heard Stephen speak words of forgiveness. Imagine that. Imagine as they're hearing Stephen, as they're seeing Stephen, he has the face of an angel, and they're hearing the voice of Stephen asking God the Father to forgive, to forgive those that are stoning him. And so we know that many were impacted by this, right? As, as they're looking at him, no matter what, even if you have hatred or not, it's definitely going to leave a lasting impression. And so now we come into here, into chapter 8, and Dr. Luke gives us additional insight on Saul. He tells us there that he was consenting to his death. In verse 1 it says, Now Saul was consenting to his death. At that time a great persecution arose against the church which was at Jerusalem. And they were all scattered throughout the regions of Judea and Samaria except the apostles. So we're told here of Saul as, as he has all the clothes there. He's taking care of the clothes. He was actually consenting to his death. What does this mean? When we look at this, right, in the Greek, the word consent means that he felt gratified. Think about that. He felt gratified. In other words, he took pleasure in the stoning of Stephen. This begins to reveal the heart of Saul. The heart of Saul had true hatred towards Jesus and his disciples. Why would he, believe, why would he have such hatred towards Jesus and his disciples? You know what? He believed that they were all heretics. See, he didn't believe that Jesus was the Messiah. And anyone that was preaching this message, he sought to destroy. 
And we know that this still happens today, right? People don't want to accept Jesus as a Messiah. They don't want to accept Him as God. But we know that this is a war that continues throughout history. Through the beginning of mankind, war was declared against the people of God and against Satan. It starts way back with the creation of Adam and Eve in Genesis 3.15. It talks about this war that the people of God will have with Satan. And as we kept reading here in verse 1, it tells us that there was a great persecution against the church. It arose. Let me clarify, it's not just any persecution. We are talking about a great persecution. We are talking about an amazing persecution. You know what, many of us thought that here in the States that we were going to see a great persecution against the church. We saw that it, the beginnings of it were happening, right, with the, with the previous administration, the things that were going on, how they were treating the church. And we thought for, for without a doubt that, you know what, that if, if things were going on as they were going to continue to go on, that the church would experience a great persecution. But we know that things didn't work out that way, that God was gracious. But we see here, right, that as they're talking about a great persecution, prior to this, remember, the, Satan was attacking the leaders. He was attacking who? Peter and John. Remember, they were also on trial. They were tried with the same council that tried Jesus. And they tried to shut them up. And then, when that didn't happen, Satan knew that, you know what, I'm not going to accomplish anything with these two, so what am I going to do? I'm going to bring problems within the church. And so, what did he try to do? He brought sin within the church, right? He brought sin upon Ananias and Sapphira. They allowed Satan to come in. And so, how was he going to bring problems against the church with Ananias and Sapphira? Because when there's sin in the church, it weakens the power of the church. Think about that. And he knew that, alright, if I can allow sin and, and sin isn't addressed in the church, then guess what? It's going to lose its effectual power. And so we know that that didn't work either. And so what did he do? He tried to create division next, right, within the church, between the Hellenist Jews, the Greek Jews, the Greek-speaking Jews, and the Hebrews, the, the Jews. And we know that that was unsuccessful, right? Because that's when deacons were, were, were raised up to, to treat this issue and to address the issue. But we know that one thing about Satan is that he's relentless. Never forget that. You know what? He will keep trying and trying and trying. But one thing that Satan doesn't have, and I was reminded of this a couple of weeks ago, is that Satan has no patience. Remember, this is why Satan keeps trying, trying, and then he stops. He gives up, right? Because the fruit of the Spirit is what? To be long-suffering, to have patience. And Satan doesn't have patience, so he tries, tries, and then he gives up. But then he comes back. He can't keep going on because, right, he can't stand it, right? It's not like us, that God teaches us patience because, and we can experience and walk in patience. Why? Because we have the fruit of the Spirit, or we have the Spirit teaching us these things. And when you are yielded to the Spirit, then you can walk in patience. But as we see here, right, it started the persecution with Stephen. And then it tells us that the church scattered throughout the regions of Judea and Samaria. It tells us there in verse 1 that it scattered throughout the regions of Judea and Samaria. Judea was what? Outside of Jerusalem. It's the areas around Jerusalem. It's outside of Jerusalem. And Samaria, Samaria is about anywhere, it's estimated about 30 to 40 miles away. And so the gospel, well, I mean, the, the, the gospel spread, it scattered throughout these regions, throughout this, these areas. 
And we know one thing is that this needed to take place. Why did it need to take place? When we look at Acts chapter 1 verse 8, it tells us there that the Holy Spirit came upon the disciples and they were instructed to be witnesses in Jerusalem, which was happening already, and then Judea, and then Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. And how, were they, how was it going to get there? How was God going to move the gospel to go to these places? He was going to force them out with persecution. Imagine that. I want to remind you that there are things that God does in our lives to accomplish His will. God does things in our lives to stretch us, to grow us, and to accomplish His will through us. And let me share this with you. These things are not going to be comfortable. Remember that. Many times these things that God does in our lives are not very comfortable, but they are necessary. Don't ever forget that. Things will not be comfortable, but they will be necessary. Let me share this with you. Am I happy with the fact that my wife has cancer? Absolutely not. God has a purpose. Let me share this with you. The greatest trials in life will always be the most impactful in our lives. These are the ones that we don't forget. These are the ones that God teaches us. These are the ones that changes our hearts and our lives. These are the ones that mature our faith in God. We know that we never forget the major trials of life. They are so impactful that they that they change you. God needed to expand the church to fulfill His will for the church. He allowed persecution as a means to move and to accomplish His will in the church. He wanted to get the gospel to Judea, to Samaria, to the ends of the earth. And as we see here, this is what He used to do this. This was how He was going to accomplish His will. We also read there that the apostles, they stood in Jerusalem. Why did they stay back? Shouldn't they have gone with the others? We aren't told why, but they wanted to be in Jerusalem. And as we keep reading in verse 2, it says, And devout men carried Stephen to his burial and made great lamentation over him. As for Saul, he made havoc of the church, entering every house and dragging off men and women committing them to prison. It tells us there that devout men carried Stephen to his burial and they greatly mourned his death. Who were these? Were these devout Jews? Were these devout Christians? I don't know. But we know that whoever they were, they were devout. And as we see here, that, that, that they, 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 you know what, that, that they made a lamentation. They, you know what, there was a, a great mourning for Stephen. But then all, we are also told in verse 3 that Saul, Saul made havoc of the church. 
You know, his attempt was to destroy the church. And how did he do this? It tells us there in verse 3 that he entered into the homes of Christians, dragging them off and imprisoning them. His mindset was to murder every Jesus, every person believing in Jesus. And as I mentioned, the enemy, the enemy is relentless because he'll try whatever he can. The enemy used Saul to accomplish his will. But in using Saul, Satan had no clue as to what God would do. See, God would turn these things around. Because Satan was actually allowed to do this. Why? Because God wanted to expand the church. The church was not going to be decreased as Satan believed by using Saul to destroy it. But the church would increase as he would move Saul out. I mean, as he would move the Jews out of Jerusalem. And then verse 4. We're going to now talk about Philip. Let's read verses 4. Here through 8, as it's talking about Philip and taking the gospel to Samaria, it says, Therefore those who were scattered went everywhere preaching the word. Then Philip went down to the city of Samaria and preached Christ to them. And the multitudes with one accord heeded the things spoken by Philip, hearing and seeing the miracles which he did. For unclean spirits crying with a loud voice came out of many who were possessed and many who were paralyzed and lame were healed and there was great joy in the city. As we look at this, right? We read those who were being scattered. They went preaching the gospel. It says there in verse 4. They went preaching the word of God. And this word in the Greek, the word preaching here is euhaliso. And that's where we get the word to evangelize. They went evangelizing. You know what? These that were scattered, the church went evangelizing. And then in verse 5, it says, Then Philip went down to the city of Samaria and preached Christ to them. Can you imagine? Peter, you know, one of the seven deacons. There in Acts chapter 6, verse 5, it shows to us, it tells us the seven deacons that were chosen. And Stephen, the first martyr, was one of these deacons. We know that Stephen was used powerfully by God, full of faith, full of the Holy Spirit, full of grace, full of power, who did great signs and wonder, wonders. And now we have Philip, another deacon, another deacon chosen by God. What an honor it is, let me remind you, to be chosen by God, to take the gospel somewhere. That is a privilege and an honor. There's something that goes on in the heart of a man as to why God would choose these individuals. Believe me, God is looking to choose every one of us. But our heart's right for it. Do we want this? Are we available for the Lord? You know, as I remember the calling of God, as He called me to bring, the, to bring a church here in Tilapuente, to bring the gospel here, to, to teach the, the people here of this city. You know, it's amazing. You know what? It's, it's an honor. It's a privilege. And I don't take this lightly. And as we keep reading on in, in verse 6 and 7, it says, And the multitudes with one accord heeded the things spoken by Philip, hearing and seeing the miracles that he did. For unclean spirits crying with a loud voice came out of many who were possessed, and many who were paralyzed and lame were healed. You know, as we look at this, right? The multitudes received the word. They received the preaching of the good news. It says that they heard and they saw the miracles Philip performed. 
Imagine this. Philip was used by God to deliver people from demon possessions. People were healed of their physical problems. But I want to bring light to something that is so important here in verse 6. It says that they heard and they saw. They heard and they saw. Remember, the key to all of this is, is the Word of God. You know what? People don't change be, just with miracles. Hearts aren't transformed. Hearts aren't born again just by miracles. They are born by the Word of God and the Spirit of God. And the Word of God was alive. It was, it was going out with great power. God was moving. As it says in Hebrews chapter 4, verse 12, that the Word of God is living and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword. It pierces the division of soul and spirits and joints and marrow and is a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. The Word of God was piercing and the people received it. Just like many of you. When you heard the Word of God, when you were open to the Word of God, it was piercing. It impacted you. It made a difference. You knew without a doubt that God was speaking directly to you. And that's what's so amazing about the Word of God is that you can say it, you can speak it, and then it accomplishes its will. I remember when I first heard the Word of God, when I was open to finally receive the Word of God, I remember thinking, that Word is speaking directly to me. How many of you thought this when you heard the Word of God? How many of you have experienced this? Many of us, all of us, there's not one that is, that is absent from having this experience. As the Word of God is alive, it, speak, it speaks to us and it impacts us. It's a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. It knows what you think. It knows your heart and it speaks to it. And that's what's so amazing. And So when they heard Philip speaking the Word of God, they knew, you know what, that word is speaking directly to me. And then it was confirmed with what? With the miracles that he did. They knew without a doubt that God was with this man. Not only was God speaking through this man, but God was with this man. And because God was with this man, they knew, you know what, this man is the real deal. Not only is God speaking through him, but God is using this man. And God performed these miracles to validate that God was with Philip. And then verse 8 says, And there was great joy in that city. You know what? Great joy. How many of you remember when you first, when you gave yourself to Jesus Christ? How many of you had great joy in your hearts? Every single one of us had great joy. I remember leaving. I remember when I finally raised my hand. I finally surrendered my heart to Jesus Christ. I said, yes, I want to, Lord. Yes, you know what? I'm, I'm making a profession of faith and I'm believing it with my heart. I remember the joy that overwhelmed me, the joy that was just within my heart because I had made peace with God. And I remember I couldn't wait to get home. It's just an amazing experience. And so you can imagine how these people there in the city of Samaria, how they felt. And this is why it's so important as I think about this, right? How many of us, as we hear the Word of God, it does something amazing in our hearts. You know what? This is why, and I'll be honest with you here, this is why. When the Word of God was doing something in my heart, I'll tell you this, I couldn't wait to go back. And I just didn't just go once in a while. I just didn't go on one Sunday. I just didn't go, you know, once a month. I didn't go twice a month. I started going there every Sunday and every Wednesday. Why? Because the Word of God was doing something in my heart. I didn't want to miss out on it. And yet, people miss out on what God wants to do in your lives through the Word of God. 
See, we must have this hunger and this desire for the Word of God. Because it does things in us. It's alive. It's powerful. It's sharper than any two-edged sword. It transforms our very lives. God, that's why the Lord says, you know what? You shall not live by bread alone, but you live by the Word that proceeds from the mouth of God. That's why God desires us to be hearing the Word of God, to be learning the Word of God. And that's why when I remember as a baby, as a young believer... And it went on throughout my walk is that I wanted to hear the Word of God. I wanted it taught. I wanted to receive it. As we keep reading on, we're going to talk about now Simon the Sorcerer. And this one I'm not going to read because it's a long, it's a lot here. We're just going to go verse by verse. Verse 9 says this, But there was a certain man called Simon who previously practiced sorcery in the city and had astonished the people of Samaria claiming that he was someone great to whom they all gave heed from the least to the greatest saying, This man is the great power of God. And they heeded him because he had astonished them with his sorceries for a long time. We have here, we have Simon. And Dr. Luke gives us insight on Simon. He tells us, one, that he practiced sorcery for a long time. In other words, he was practicing magic. The other thing that he tells us is that he amazed the people. And not only did he amaze the people, but the third thing that he says is that he himself boasted of his greatness. In other words, you know what? I know you guys think I'm great, but I know I'm great too. Okay? And that's what he was doing. And this is why I'm great. People began to attribute his power, to associate his power with God. And what it says is that people paid attention to him because he amazed them. So he had a lot of influence there. Well, wait till the word of God comes. Look at what it says in verse 12. But when they believed Philip as he preached the things concerning the kingdom of God and the name of Jesus Christ, both men and women were baptized. Then Simon himself also believed. And when he, had, and when he was baptized, he continued with Philip and was amazed seeing the miracles and signs which were done. Now comes the truth into the city of Samaria. Prior to Philip's arrival, Simon the sorcerer, he had the attention of everyone. Think about this. His, ma his magic captured the hearts of the people. But when the truth came in, the truth that was preached by Philip, people were quick to believe the message of the gospel. He, why did they believe this? He was preaching the gospel. He was pe preaching truth. Remember, truth will always dispel. It will always trump lies. And what we have here is he preached the kingdom of God. He preached in the name of Jesus Christ. He taught them about the Lord. And they received it. So much so, it tells us that they were baptized. They were water baptized. That's what he's talking about. An outward expression of their new faith. Revealing the inward change, the inward birth in them. What's amazing about all of this is that even Simon the sorcerer was moved. It says that Simon also believed. Think about that. He also believed and was baptized. And he continued with Philip. He was amazed at the miracles. He was amazed at the signs that God did through Philip. Imagine this man that has such great influence over the people, right? He now became a believer. But tr was he truly? 
Was this conversion real or not? I'm going to address this, not now, but I want to address this later. I want to move on into verse 14. It says there, Now when the apostles who were at Jerusalem heard that Samaria had received the word of God, they sent Peter and John to, to them. See, the news gets out. People in Samaria were being saved. Imagine that. The news is going. Guess what? The people in Samaria are being saved. You can imagine, you know what? The people back in Jerusalem, right? The apostles that stood back. The other disciples that were back. And I want to talk about the Samaritans. Because many of us will say, well, who are the people in Samaria? Remember, in the history of Israel, the northern and southern kingdom were divided. Remember, we're going over this in, in Kings. It started there in, 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 second, Sam, in second Samuel. And as it started there, right, remember that we had the, the uh, uh, Solomon, the son of, of David. You know what? As he died, and we know that his son took over, and his son didn't take heed to the counsel of the elders, and so he took the counsel of young friends without wisdom, and so that divided the whole nation into the north and south. And as we know with the north and south, each one had its own capital. Jerusalem was the capital of the southern kingdom of Judah. And then we had Samaria that became the capital of the northern kingdom of Israel. And so what ends up happening is that when, the, when God allowed the nation of Assyria to conquer the northern kingdom, 2 Kings chapter 17, verse 24 tells us that the king of Assyria brought people from Babylon, Kuthay, Ava, Hamath, and from Sepharvaim, and placed them in the cities of Samaria instead of the, of the children of Israel. And they took possession of Samaria and dwelt in their cities. So remember, this was the, northern, this was the capital of the northern tribe of Israel. And so what does the king of Assyria do? So, you know what? So we don't allow them to grow again and to come into power. What I'm going to do is I'm going to send all these men and they can intermarry with what? With the, Jew with the Jewish women. And so what ends up happening here is that you now have what? These Samaritans that come out. They're half-breeds. They're half-Jews. And because of this, they were hated by the Jewish population. And so these were the Samaritans and the Samaritans are now receiving the gospel. And so what they do is they want to send out Peter and John to make sure that this is true. Remember, prior to this, who was mainly being saved? It was just the Jews. And now you have the Samaritans, the half-breeds that are added to the church. And so this needed to be confirmed, right? It's just hearsay. Let's send out now who? The apostles to make sure that this is the case. And so Peter and John, they travel roughly about 40 miles where to Samaria. And they see what's happening there. As they arrived, look at what it says in verse 15. It says, who, who, When they had come down, prayed for them that they might receive the Holy Spirit. For as yet He had fallen upon none of them. They had only been baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. Then they laid hands on them and they received the Holy Spirit. When they arrived, they said, You know what? Yes, these guys are truly believers. You know what? God is moving. The gospel has been received here. And one thing that they knew is that they were only water baptized. They had not received the Holy Spirit. But what happens? What does this mean, not receive the Holy Spirit? I thought 
that when you believe in Jesus Christ, you receive the Holy Spirit. That's absolutely right. See, what, the, what Dr. Luke is referring to here is he is referring to the baptism of the Holy Spirit. We're talking about the empowerment of the Holy Spirit. We are talking about the upon experience of Acts chapter 1, verse 8. When you look here at, in verse 16, it talks about that the Holy Spirit had not come upon them. See, in verse 16 it says, For as yet he had, fall, for as yet he had fallen upon none of them. When you look at the word upon there, this is the same word that is used in Acts chapter 1 verse 8. It is a word epi. It is a word upon. When the Holy Spirit comes upon you, okay, it's not with you, in you. It is upon you to empower you, to become a witness, to now receive the gifts of the Holy Spirit. And so this is why Peter and John were sent. To lay hands on them so that they can receive this. See, why didn't Philip lay hands on them? Let's think about this, right? Why wouldn't Philip lay hands on them? Remember, God has everything planned out. If Philip would have laid hands on them, then this may have created a division between the Jewish Christians and the Samaritan Christians. Think about that. We're talking about now Christians from Samaria. We're talking about half-breed Christians. You can imagine the animosity they had towards one another. And to have Philip lay the holy, uh, hands on them, that would affirm the Holy Spirit now has given them the gifts and will now use them. And so this would have created a possible division within the church. So, of course, they needed to send Peter and John to make sure that Christianity would be united as one. And so what happens next? Look at verse 18. It says that when Simon saw, oh, I'm sorry, in verse 17 it says, and then they laid hands on them and they received the Holy Spirit. Can you imagine that? They received the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit came upon them to validate these were true believers. And again, uniting the Samaritan Christians with the Jewish Christians. And then verse 18 says, and when Simon saw that through the laying of the apostles' hands the Holy Spirit was given, he offered them money saying, give me this power also that anyone on whom I lay hands may receive the Holy Spirit. Man, Simon sees, you know what? He sees the Holy Spirit fall upon them. And you know what? Like us, right? When we do the baptism of the Holy Spirit, nothing really happens, right? It was, you know what? It's pretty silent. But we know one thing that during this time, like the day of Pentecost, when the Holy Spirit fell upon them, they began to what? Speak in tongues. And people were understanding their languages. And so what you have here is, I guarantee you, this is very similar to that. That's my belief, right? Because Simon saw. He had to see something. He just didn't see, you know, the, the, the dove falling upon him. He couldn't see that. But the outward sign is that they were probably speaking in tongues. And so he saw this, right? And he says, man, this is what I want. He's saying, I want this power, right? I want to be able to lay hands on people and bring the Holy Spirit, right? And to do all these types of gifts, to practice all these gifts. How many of you have heard the term simony? Anyone heard the term simony? A few of you have heard the term simony. It actually becomes, it actually came to light because of Simon. It's a practice of buying a position in the church. During the Middle Ages, let me remind you, many of the popes actually bought their way into office. This was a practice of simony. 
And so, as Simon says, Let me, you know what, give me this power. You know what, I want this power. You know what, here's money for it. I want to give it to you, right? And so, how does Peter and John respond to that? Verse 20 tells us, But Peter said to him, Your money perish with you, because you thought that the gift of God could be purchased with money. He tells him, May your money be destroyed with you. In other words, you and your money will be destroyed. Why? Because you thought the gift of God could be purchased with money. He thought the gift of God, the gift of the Holy Spirit, as mentioned in 2 verse 38, the gift of the Holy Spirit, he thought, I can buy that. I can buy the, the gift of God. I could, it could be purchased. But one thing we know is that the Holy Spirit, God has given us the Holy Spirit as a gift. No one purchases the Holy Spirit with money. And so, Peter goes on to say in verse 21, You have neither part nor portion in this matter, for your heart is not right in the sight of God. Repent, therefore, of your wickedness, and pray, God, if perhaps the thought of your heart may be forgiven you. For I see that you are poisoned by bitterness and bound by inequity. What's amazing here is that Peter discerns the motives of Simon. What happened here is that God revealed the heart of Simon. Peter was able to see right through Simon. And so Peter tells Simon, you won't have any part in receiving the gift of God. Your heart is not right. You are poisoned with bitter jealousy. Why? Because of these gifts of, of what God is doing through us. You are in chains to sin. You need to repent and pray that God forgive you. And so how does Simon respond? Verse 24, Then Simon answered and say, said, Pray to the Lord for me that none of the things which you have spoken may come upon me. Pray for me that these things wouldn't happen. What was he talking about? He was saying, you know what, I don't want to be destroyed and I don't want my money to be destroyed. See, Simon didn't fall on his knees asking God to forgive him, which God would have forgiven him. Simon only prayed that these things would not happen. So why did Dr. Luke say earlier that Simon believed? Why would he tell us that? Let me reveal an important truth to you. Many people believe with their mind, but not with their heart. What do I mean by this? See, many times we'll attest that something is true. Absolutely, that's true. But it doesn't mean that I believe it in my heart. There is a long 18 inches between your mind and your heart. Remember that. Remember what James revealed to us, that even the demons believe and tremble in James 2.19. They even believe and tremble. Does this mean that they have saving faith? Absolutely not. When you believe something with the heart, then you truly believe. It can't be with the mind. It has to be with the heart. See, it's like kids, right? You tell them not to do something, and then they do it. They agree that it's wrong, but what? They still do it right because it's not in their heart. See, when it's in your heart, you believe it by faith. When it's in your mind, it's just an abstract. It's just, yeah, I believe that. But it's not in the heart. See, faith, remember this, will always come from the heart, never from the mind. That's what we see here. Faith comes from the heart, never from the mind. That's why many people will always say, you know what, I've been impacted. You know what, I'm going to say the profession of faith because in their minds they believe, I need to do that. 
but it never goes to their heart. That's why there's never change. Think about that. I want to give you some insight as we're closing here. What happened to Simon the sorcerer? The Bible never mentions him again. This is the last time we know of Simon. You know what early church fathers said? They said that he continued in sorcery. He, he, you know what? He didn't repent. He continued in his sorcery. Others say that he started the movement of Gnosticism. And for those of you that don't know what Gnosticism is, it's, it was a, 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 a movement during the early church that attempted to destroy the church. Why? Because they said that knowledge comes from the mind, not from the Word of God. It's a higher knowledge. And the Word of God doesn't give us that higher knowledge. Man receives it. They also said some other crazy things that anything that is of the flesh is evil. There was another thing that they said about Simon the sorcerer is that he committed suicide and buried himself alive. What is the truth about him? We really don't know. The early church fathers did mention these things. But we'll know for sure you know, as uh, when we go to heaven and the Lord reveals these things to us. But in closing, verse 25 says, So when they had testified and preached the word of the Lord, they returned to Jerusalem, preaching the gospel in many villages of the Samaritans. You know, the apostles, Peter and John, what they ended up doing. Man, God is moving. God is moving. He was moving there in the city of Samaria. And guess what? They, as they were going back, they began to preach the gospel to the Samaritans. God expanded the church. God was on the move. I want to highlight some points in closing. Some points that I want us to take away with. I always give you these points. I, I, I give you these points now so that these can stick with us as we leave and as we remember these, the, the message that we gave today because see, the Word of God wants to be planted in our hearts. It wants to live in our hearts. It wants to take deep root in our hearts. And I'm, only, I'm going to give you five points. And the first point is this. Remember this, that the enemy is at war with us. The enemy is at war with us. See, as we see here, as the church was on the move, as the church was expanding, as the, with the birth of the church, Satan is always attacking. No matter where, the churches, he will attack. Ephesians 6 verse 12 says, For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this age, against the spiritual hosts of wickedness in the heavenly places. Do not ever be deceived. The enemy wants to destroy you. He wants to destroy your walk. He wants to destroy your testimony. You have a target on you. Every single one of us has a target. And Satan wants to disqualify you. He wants to take you down. Don't ever forget. And he will use whatever means he can to take you down. He will bring temptation. And this is why the Lord always tells us, He always gives us a way of escape. He will always infuse your mind with thoughts to carry out. This is why the Lord tells us to hold our thoughts captive to the obedience of Christ. Satan is always out there. That's why Peter says he's a roaring lion seeking to devour us. Satan wants to devour you. You know what? We know that a lion, everyone knows he's out there because he roars. This is what Peter wanted us to know. Satan is out here 
Satan comes, he follows you, he has demons assigned to you to destroy you, to take you down. The second point I want you to know is God is looking to use you. God is looking to use you. Second Chronicles 16 verse 9 says, For the eyes of the Lord run to and fro throughout the whole earth to show, him how, to show Himself strong on behalf of those whose heart is loyal to Him. Remember, God is looking for loyal hearts. That's what He's looking for. Is your heart loyal to the Lord? Or is your allegiance to other things, to the things of this world? Remember this. These are things that God wants to bring to our attention. He used Philip. He can use you and I. He can use us all to do great things. But He's looking to your heart. Is it loyal to Him or not? Remember King David. A man after God's heart. God looks at the heart, not the outward. Are you available? Is your heart loyal to Him? He wants to show His strength, His power through you. The third point is this. The Word of God is what makes the impact. It's the Word of God. It's not the words of man. It's the words of God. Isaiah 55 verse 11, it says, So shall my word be that goes forth from my mouth. It shall not return to me void, but it shall accomplish what I please, and it shall prosper in the thing for which I sent it. Remember, this is why it's so important to know the Word of God. How can you go out there to share the Word if you yourself don't know it? This is why it's so important that we have our personal devotional time, our personal devos. This is why it's so important to be at the, at the house of God, to be taught the Word of God. Why? So that when you're talking to people, the Word of God will just come. And remember what the Holy Spirit, what God said, I will impart, the, I will give you the Holy Spirit and He shall speak to you, speak words to you and through you so you can share with others. The fir- fourth point is this. Everyone is not a believer. Remember that. Especially when you begin to have relationships with people that in the church of God. I give you this as a warning, that's all. Because see, I don't want any of you to be misdirected. What happens is that many people come into the church and they begin to say, you know what, I'm a believer. And we begin to confide in them. I've seen many women, even men, taken down as they were deceived by people claiming to be believers, but yet their actions were contrary to the Word of God. That's Simon. His heart was filled with sin. Remember in 2 Corinthians eleven fourteen through 15 it says, And no wonder, for Satan himself transforms himself into an angel of light. Therefore it is no great thing if he ministers if His ministers also transform themselves into ministers of righteousness, He will send people into the church disguised as believers to do what? To destroy you. To take you down. If you want to be with people, be with people that have a fire for God and you see their fruits Without works, their faith 
is nothing. If they are asking you to sin, they are not believers. If you see their life walking in sin, practicing I'm talking about, they are not true believers. Remember what James told us in James 2.17. Thus also faith by itself, if it does not have works, is dead. It's not real. It's not alive. Their faith is not alive. And people are deceived and they say, well, you know what? Nobody's perfect. Who am I to judge? But yet, God gives you this to see. Don't ignore it. And then finally, God's gift cannot be bought. We're talking about the baptism of the Holy Spirit. It cannot be bought. This is why Peter said in 2, Acts 2.38, Repent and let every one of you be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins because of your sins and you shall receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. You shall receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. It's a gift. It's a gift. It's nothing else but a gift. Remember that. But you've got to repent. God will never fill a dirty cup. How many times have I told you that? God will not fill a dirty cup. If you are practicing sin, God will not fill a dirty cup. You want to have the power of the Holy Spirit moving through you? God cannot fill you if you are a dirty cup. Why? Because you're not yielding to the Holy Spirit. The Bible says, that if you yield to the Holy Spirit, you shall not fulfill what? The lust of the flesh. You want the Holy Spirit to fill you. can't be purchased. Not with your lips, not with your money. It's a gift of God. He gives it freely to all who want it. Amen? Let's pray.